Okay. Well, good morning, everyone. So good to be with you. Uh, my name is Mark, part of the leadership team here. And just want to continue in this sense of God's presence together and for him to be doing some pretty significant stuff this morning. Now, you will have seen from the slide that we are continuing our series on Name Above All Names. And we're focusing in on Jehovah Rapha this morning. The Lord, your God heals. And it's going to be a wonderful time. Now, uh, last year on Monday, the 28th of September... In the morning, Karis was uh, at work, and I got a phone call from my mother-in-law. And at that point, she, she was upset, she was tearful, because her husband, my father-in-law Barry, had been taken, rushed in an ambulance to hospital. Over the weekend and for the previous few days, he'd had a temperature, he'd been coughing, he was breathless. Uh, we all know where this is going. You know, he, he, he had COVID, and also he had the complication of having pneumonia as well. He was put on the high dependency ward next door to the ventilators, but not actually on a ventilator and given oxygen. And I spoke to him actually pretty much where I'm standing right now. I happened to be doing some filming that day here. And I spoke to him that morning and just the fear and the upset in his voice. And I know that was just such a, a hard phone call. It was horrible, but nothing compared to when I had to tell my wife later on that day what had happened. It was horrific. There's an American pastor called Matt Chandler. He uh, leads a, a, a huge church called the Village Church, 10,000, 12,000 people, whatever it is. And they have this saying. They say, you are only a phone call away from sorrow. You're only a phone call away from sorrow. Now, what makes his particular position amazing is that at 35 years old in 2009, it was Thanksgiving Day when he came down, uh, woke up, came down for breakfast, gave his wife a hug, went over to his six-month-old baby, fed her her bottle, burped her, went to sit on the sofa, and the next thing he knew, he woke up in hospital. That afternoon, he was told after various scans that had been undertaken that he had a tumor in his frontal lobe, frontal lobe which was two inches uh, long and one inch deep. He needed an operation immediately if he was going to survive uh, or indeed last just a few years. Now, the operation was huge. He didn't know whether or not he would be able to remember his children whether he'd be able to remember his wife, whether or not he'd ever be able to do his job again. He had no idea as he was wheeled into surgery. And as he was wheeled into surgery, obviously so many questions came at him. He, he writes this all down in a wonderful book that I encourage you to read, actually called Joy in the Sorrow. And in that, that book, he, he just asked those questions again and again. Why me? Why me? And it raises that question about sickness of what is it all about? Why does it seem so alien to us? Why does sickness seem so alien? And I think the Bible tells us very clearly. It's because we live between two worlds. We live between what God's original creation was in Eden, where there was no sickness, and we live in kind of before the next part of his creation, the new heaven and the new earth, where we will see again no sickness. But in this period now, we are living under the curse of Adam and Eve, of all of mankind's rejection of God. And the result of that curse is that death and sickness have entered into this world. And so we have to live within that world. But the trouble is, as creations, as made in God's image, we know that there shouldn't be sickness. We know that that isn't right. And it's interesting that the younger somebody is when they suffer, the more it seems wrong to us. 
And that's because we have this thing built in us that says it is not right because it isn't. It wasn't part of original creation idea. And in addition to that, when you become a Christian, when you become a new Christian, when you become that newborn thing, you're looking forward to that moment where the new heaven and the new earth arrives. And so we live in this period in between Eden and new creation. We are therefore living in tension. And it is into that moment of tension that God decides to reveal himself again and again and again. And one of the ways that he reveals himself is by saying, this is my name, this is my nature and my character. So when he says, this is my name, he's not doing it so you can say, hey God, how you doing? Hey Jehovah, hey whatever, you know, that's not, that's not how it works. He is revealing something of his very nature and his character of who he is to us. And the name we're focusing in on this morning, Jehovah Rapha, the Lord your healer, is a revelation of God's nature and character, of his eternal plans for how humanity was meant to be. There is this sense of this is who I am and this is what you can experience right now. Now we find that name in Exodus 15. So if you want to get your Bibles out, find Exodus 15. We'll bring it up on the screen in a moment as well, and I'll read that out. But th this demonstration of God's original design intent and his future intent was perhaps best seen in Jesus. So when Jesus is walking on the earth, he is the ultimate example of everyone who came to him. So when we say, the Lord your God, your healer, we know we've got some amazing examples, and we'll uncover those in a little bit. So let's read Exodus this is Exodus 15 because it's going to help us unpack and help us understand why God heals and why we don't see more of it. Okay, that's what we're going to see and do this morning. And we might pray for some people later on as well because that's quite important. So here we are, Exodus 15, verse 22. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah, which means bitterness. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer, Jehovah Rapha. Now, in terms of what happens here and in terms of all the things that are going on, we need to get our head around the wrong view of healing. And I want to start off by saying some symptoms of the wrong view. And this may be you, this might be some of the things that you've got. Now, the Israelites, uh, where we're picking them up, had been in the desert for three days. They had just come through the Red Sea. Uh, and so three days later, you know, you'd think after going through that, they'd never want to see water again. But now they are thirsty and they're dying of thirst. And you've got to imagine thousands and thousands and thousands of people all complaining that they're not going to get anything to drink. Three days is about the maximum amount of time you can go without water. And so they eventually come across this spring and they think, wow, there's water. Here it is. Oh, thank goodness. We're saved. And they taste it and it's bitter. It's bitter. They can't drink it. And they're like, what is going on here? And so what do they do? They 
grumble. They grumble. Now, this is an important thing, okay? Because the grumbling is based upon the bitterness. And grumbling is always based from a heart of bitterness. But bitterness is not the root cause here. The root cause of bitterness is disappointment. And so what you see here are some people who are greatly disappointed. They've been rescued out of Egypt. They've been set free. They've been miraculously saved. And now they're just disappointed in what is going on. And that raises up in bitterness and that exudes in grumbling. Now, the cause of disappointment, there are a number of causes of disappointment. And I just want to touch on a few, okay? And then we'll get into some other things. The first cause of disappointment is when you have not seen healing work. When you've not seen God work. Where you've tried and you've gone for it and you've not seen it work. That leads to disappointment. Folks, you need to know, I have wrestled with this one. I have wrestled with it. It is something that I I fight for uh, almost on a daily basis. I have worn these things since I was 18 months old. I was born with a lazy eye. Uh, I can't read with my right eye. I, I've got not enough vision out of it to, to do that. It's, it's pretty bad on that side. And, uh, and so I've, I've walked all the way through. It's also a squint as well. I had to have an operation when I was about 12 months old to try and correct it, and that didn't go so well. But it's, it's just crazy kind of what, what's going on there. So every day when I look in the mirror, I'm reminded of this one. I have seen both my parents succumb to cancer. My dad almost died when I was 11. He was that close to dying from cancer when I was 11. I have sat in hospitals with doctors with all three of my children while they've told me about febrile convulsions or or, um, spina bifida or all sorts of different things as I've sat there and listened to doctors explain to me. Praise God, all of them are okay now, but at the moment it was terrifying. It was absolutely scary, and you have to face that disappointment. My youngest uh, suffered from febrile convulsions, and we were sitting, the first one happened when we were sitting on the A14, driving home from Derby, uh, uh, just by Kettering, so about halfway home. And he started having this seizure on the side of the road, and the ambulance couldn't find us. It was absolutely horrific, and you're praying, and nothing seems to be changing. Folks, I faced that disappointment. It is horrendous. But here's a key thing. We cannot let our experience of God apparently not doing anything determine what we truly believe or seek. We cannot let our experience determine the revealed nature and character of God. Peter Enns says this about the Israelites here. He says, they again use their own perception of their circumstances as the standard by which to base reality. The reality is God is our healer. The second cause of disappointment is fear. Here we have the Israelites who are scared. They have come through the water. They have been rescued out of Egypt, but now they fear for their lives. And fear is usually rooted in forgetfulness. 
So there's a great scene in Mark 8 where you see the disciples. They have just, like just, seen Jesus feed 4,000 people with a few loaves of bread. He then gets into a boat with his disciples, and after a little bit of sailing, they start to have an argument about who forgot to bring lunch. It is a comedic scene, and Jesus' face must have been a picture as he said these words in Mark 8.18. Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? The disciples replied, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not get it? We are so forgetful as people of God. We let fear drive in. We let hunger and fear drive how we feel rather than the nature and character of God. And that leads to the third aspect of disappointment is that we live as functional atheists. We live as functional atheists. What do I mean by that? I mean that when we are faced with a problem, we will immediately try to seek a solution that doesn't include God. Now, Hold up a minute. Am I saying that we shouldn't take our illnesses and go and see doctors? No, I am not saying that. If I've got a headache, I go and take some paracetamol. If I am feeling ill, I go and see a doctor. That is important, folks. Remember that. But our knee-jerk reaction should be, I need to get prayed for this. So we might take those paracetamol, but we're then going to ask somebody to pray for us. Or we might ask somebody to pray for us and then take the drugs. Whatever way around it is, it doesn't matter. But the important thing is, is that we seek God. We ask him. We get other people involved in order for them to pray for us so that God has an opportunity to reveal who he is. Now, yes, he does that through medicine and he does it through vaccines and he does it through all sorts of amazing technology things. But he also does it in the moment in the miracle. So we say here that a miracle is either, yes, it can be through doctors and it can be in a second and a moment. Either way, we count that as God to give give him glory for what he has done. But we need to seek him and get him to pray for us. Bill Johnson says, if I have a problem and don't bring God into it, then I am living as an atheist, i.e. I'm living as if I don't believe in God. Now, I think great credit goes out to Moses at this moment, because what we see is kind of how to respond to this kind of attitude of disappointment and bitterness and grumbling, because he shows us. He cries out. Now, Moses is a really flawed character. I love him in the Bible. He's amazing. He's, he's kind of like a bit of a mess, but he cries out. So when he's in front of Pharaoh and he cries out to God because he needs help, when he's standing in front of the Red Sea, he cries out to God because he needs help. When he is faced with a nation dying of thirst in front of him, he cries out. That phrase, he cries out, is rooted in faith. It's rooted in a place that says, hey, I need to meet with you, God. I need you right now. It is a desperate cry. It is a prayer. It is an asking for help. Now, Moses had confidence because he knew his Lord. He'd met him in a bush. He had met the God of the universe and had seen him actively speak to him. He knew him because he'd seen it work before. 
Now, when you've seen it work before, you get convinced of who God is. And that can be your personal experience or it can be somebody else's experience that you rely on. I remember the first person I ever prayed for to be healed. It was a, a lass called uh, Kerry, and we were at uh, 18 to 30s weekend away, Christian one before you start sniggering. And it was, um, it was a, just a great event. Uh, I was the student worker at church, and she was one of the students. And she, she twisted her ankle, and it swelled up. So a group of us knelt down. We laid hands on her ankle, and we prayed for it to be healed. In the name of Jesus, the swelling went down. She was able to put all her weight back on it and walked into the meeting and started praising God. Since that moment, I have seen so many people healed when I've personally prayed for them and when I've been in a room where people have be prayed for sickness to go in the name of Jesus as well. I saw one man, um, Louis his name was, and he'd managed to get a compression kind of fracture going on in his neck. So for 10 years after he'd hit his head, he was unable to look up. He was unable to do that. He, couldn't, he didn't have freedom of movement. And we prayed, prayed for him in my living room. I remember doing it. And all of a sudden, he was just started crying and weeping and shouting for joy because he could look up. He loved playing badminton, so it's good news for him. It was just amazing. I remember another lady who was wheeled into church in a wheelchair. She'd been in that for, wheelchair for months. We prayed for her, laid on hands. She stood up and walked out of that meeting. I remember in this very room where we've prayed for somebody for eyesight to be restored and they didn't need glasses after that. I remember praying for a man just kind of like, just over there, just to the left of me, just over there, who was on crutches. He came in about a year ago for the daytime school of Supernatural Life. His name's Pete. And he, he stood there on crutches. He said, what have you done? He said, well, I've ripped my Achilles tendon. So we prayed for him. Well, I prayed for him, actually. And, and he said, oh, that feels better. Put all his weight on it, put his crutches down, walked out of here crutch-free. We've seen so many things. You personally have probably seen so many things. Those things we lean into, just like Moses lent into his experience of the character and nature of God, you lean into those things. I've got a little book where I write down all the miracles that happen that I've, been, I've seen firsthand. Folks, we need to lean into those things because God loves to take what is bitter and makes it sweet. We prayed for my father-in-law when he went into hospital on that Monday. Karis and I fasted and prayed. Many of you prayed for him as well. We sent around a message for, for, to loads of people. What was amazing is that it was Karis's, my wife's birthday, Karis's birthday on the Sunday after that. And she got a phone call on that day, actually FaceTime. And there was father-in-law sitting at home. He'd been discharged from hospital perfectly well. He'd gone from serious, hardly being able to breathe, to being at home. He's since had an x-ray and it showed there's no scarring or no damage at all with regards to pneumonia or COVID. It is miraculous to see those things because God takes what is bitter and it makes it sweet. But it does need action. You note that Moses takes a branch and he throws it into the water. Lots of people have speculated on, well, is that branch this, that or the other? Did it kind of cancel out? and all that? It doesn't matter because it's a miracle. And what was important was the faith in action. It was an important function here that he went and actually did something. So if you are ill, you need to ask for prayer. If you are praying for someone, you do something. I mean, we used to be able to lay hands on people, didn't we? But you know, you can stretch your hand out. You can pray out loud over them. You can do something. It is important. The whole thing of, yes, I'll pray for you. Come on, guys, break through that. That is just fear taking over. You need to say, hey, let's go for it right here, right now. And you pray. Be healed in the name of Jesus. It is that easy, right? We go for it. 
I really believe that most Christians have no idea of the authority that they have access to. A number of years ago, uh, a couple of years ago, we bought a brand new car after years and years of car trouble. I've used lots of analogies of car trouble over the years. So we've said, right, forget this, we're going to have a new car. As part of that deal, we uh, had a whole thing which meant that it got serviced every year. I'd like to say for free, but obviously you pay for it. For free. <laughs> we got a service every year. We also had access to the AA as part of the deal. And also anything that went wrong with it would be fixed under warranty. Last October, we were in the Peak District having a, uh, a lovely time, actually. And on the last day of our holiday, the car kind of lit up like a Christmas tree. I don't know if you've seen it in a modern car when they go wrong, but there's like lights flashing everywhere, warning triangles, you know, do not go any further, you will die, kind of warning triangles, kind of lighting up this car. And so we stop, go, oh no, what's, what's happened? What's gone on? Look it up. Call someone. Get it fixed. Oh, okay. Oh, hang on a moment. We've got that AA cover thing, haven't we? Right, okay, where's the number? We call that number. Couldn't have been more helpful. Were people uh, track it, bring us? Within an hour, we had somebody in the middle of the Peak District, which I thought was amazing. Anyway, they, they arrived. They put a patch on the car, managed to get us home. Uh, and then we called the garage, and they said, yeah, bring it in. No worries. We bought it in. Uh, they gave us another car to use whilst that car was being fixed. They patched our car up, and then I had to go and pick up the car uh, so that it was all, all good to go. And when I picked up the car, they gave me this piece of paper, which was like setting out all the expenses that, that I'd kind of like accrued. So, you know, the AAA call out, the, um, the, the parts, the hire car, all that kind of stuff listed down there. And the sum was like 1,500, two grand or whatever it was. It was a lot of money. And then money owed at the bottom was zero. That's great. I enjoyed that. Now, what would have happened if I had just thought, oh, no, oh, the car's gone wrong, I need to phone someone, and I need to get it fixed, and I need to pay for all that kind of stuff. Oh, that would have been daft, wouldn't it? Folks, we have access to the greatest mechanic ever. We have access to God who will come and answer prayers. He is all too willing to come and heal because his name is the Lord your healer. Now, I don't know if you've noticed that God answers a question here that the people never ask. Moses cries out for something to drink. God replies, I am God, your healer. Have you thought about what's going on there? Now, what's happening here is that he says, look, you are not Egypt. You're not going to suffer the ten plagues. And this is not about whether or not gnats bite you or whether you get boils or whether your bath turns into blood. It's not about that kind of stuff. What this is about is about God saying, you are my people and I want to reveal myself to you. That is who I am. I am releasing you from captivity. You are not like this. Look, that is not my intent for humanity. My intent for humanity is this relationship with me. There is that revelation. He is challenging the people of God's view of who he is and his heart for them. He is saying, this is who I am. He is declaring something about himself. Now, when God declares something about himself, it is completely true. He says, I am this. His name, Jehovah, I am Yahweh. I am this. I am Lord, your healer. Lord, authority to make that declaration. I am 
That is who he is. You cannot argue with that. You can try, but you can't. Because that is who he says he is. But he hasn't healed me, he hasn't done this, he hasn't. It doesn't matter. This is who God is. And that's who we seek. That's who we go after. Now you might say, but Mark, doesn't it say here that you have to keep the statutes and therefore God will be your healer? It does. But here we go. When Jesus came to this planet, he lived a life which was completely within the will of God. He never left the will of the Father whilst Jesus walked on this world. He completely fulfilled every single statute, written and unwritten, that God the Father had ever determined. Keeping rules was God's way of saying, look, this is my heart for my people. This is Father looking out for you. And Jesus walked in every single one of those. When Jesus died on the cross, there was something called the great exchange happened, where for Christians, we received Christ's righteousness on us, which means that when God looks at us, he sees someone who has completely fulfilled every one of those statutes. And practically speaking, it means that Christians can now walk in every single one of God's will. Not saying we always do, I'm saying we can. That means that when Jesus walked on earth and everyone who came to him was healed, then in theory, that is the same for us now. In John 14, 12, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. The disciples took this very seriously when you read the book of Acts. You see it again and again and again. Throughout church history, people who know Jesus have taken this very, very seriously. Study revivals, study all the stories of people who have seen God at work. We have seen this time and time again. But it does raise the question of what happens when it doesn't work. We need to remember that we are in the midst of a battle. We live in a time between Eden and the new heavens and the new earth. We live in a fallen world, in bodies that have not yet been completely restored. We are in a battleground, folks. We've been having our prayer meetings at the moment, and I've been saying at those, hey, the older I get, the more I realize how hard it is to pray. Why? Because it is a battleground. It is a place where you encounter what, what the enemy meant for bad, but God is bringing in for good. It is a clash if you like, between what God wants, his will, and what he doesn't want, what is happening here on earth right now. And we get to be frontline soldiers in that. And that includes physical and mental healing. In Psalm 147.3, it says he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. This isn't just about salvation it isn't just about physical healing it's about mental health as well i think that's one of the areas we've seen so many great miracles in the last sort of 20 years where this whole kind of theology this think about god has been revealed again and again about miraculous healing we're seeing that now start to take place in mental health too I just wonder what would happen if we went 10 percent harder on praying for the sick if we just went for it just that 10 percent more where we don't let our personal experience dictate biblical truth, 
where we press in and say, God, you are our healer. That is what you say. That is what you have told us. And we press in and we go for it. And we live in that place of going, you know what? I've got a load of questions. I know I've got questions. And it is okay to have questions. It really is. Matt Chandler earlier, who I referred to, he said, it's okay not to be okay. It's just not okay to stay there. Okay. We want to keep pressing on. We want to carry on. You say, but I don't have faith for that. Yes, you do. Psalm 103.3 says, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases? You're fine probably with the first part of that because as a Christian, you know that you are saved. Your iniquity has been dealt with. Well, it's the same part. The cross dealt with iniquity and disease. Both and have been dealt with there. We believe the first part and we believe the second part in terms of going for healing because God is our healer. And perhaps the most important part of this is not whether or not I get healed, and this is where I've come to that place, and I still seek God to heal my eye. I'm still expecting everyone somebody face, going, yeah, I'm going to go for it. I, I'm still expectant to see those miracles happen personally, but I don't let my personal experience stop me in praying for those who are sick. And I think what's happened now, this is the wonderful thing, isn't it, about this whole lockdown thing, and this, if anything good has come out of this. Now, it's not about what's happened in these four walls, and gosh, we have seen so many amazing miracles here. It is now happening in your homes. I've been in life group meetings online through Zoom where we've prayed and sickness has gone. I've been in, seen in different places people praying for people more and more now outside of these four walls. This is just a training ground, right? We get to reveal God to people. And when you pray for someone who doesn't know Jesus, you are revealing God as healer to them. It is perhaps one of the most easy ways for God to be shown as king over this world. I think that's why Jesus healed so many people on earth. Because he, when he walked the earth, it was just such a clear way to demonstrate, hey, I'm in charge now. And that's not my design intent. And I'm bringing my truth into it. I'm revealing who I am. We need to pray for some folk this morning. <laughs> so, um, Richard, if you want to come up, mate, that'd be, that'd be great. Um, and we're going to minister. So I, I, I really want everyone to stand up. Okay, so stand up in your homes. If you're listening to this driving, probably not a good idea, but pull over and then stand up. We want everyone to stand up, okay? Because this is an active thing. This is part of the throwing the log in, if you like. This is an active deal. I often say when we were in the room that prayer is uh, not an observation sport. It's something that you participate in. So it doesn't matter if you're sick or not sick. You get to be part of this whole deal that we're going to do right now. Now, the first thing that we need to deal with with regards to ministering here is we need to deal with disappointment, okay? So close your eyes. I'm just going to say, Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, we just come before you and we want to repent and turn away from disappointment dictating who you are in our lives. I just ask right now, Father, that you reveal, Holy Spirit, you've been so active this morning, you would just come and speak to people now and tell them where they have let disappointment take charge of their view of you. Jesus. Jesus. And what I want you to do now, if you know that you have let disappointment 
take control of your view of who God is, you need to physically turn away from that. You need to literally do a 180. So just turn on the spot and face the other direction, okay? Just do that as a prophetic act where you are. Say, hey, Lord, I'm so sorry. I have let my own experience dictate who you are rather than let you dictate who you are. And I turn away from my view of disappointment. All those past hurts, that pain, yet I'm turning away from it, Lord, because it is no use to me. I want to say I trust you, Jesus, as Lord, my saviour and my healer. The next thing we need to do is we need to pray for people who are ill or sick. And if this is you, then I'm just going to ask you to put your hand on the the thing that is hurting or or is painful or is wrong. We had uh, some great words of knowledge that were coming in the little sidebar. It was one that was um, if there's long-term conditions that you've tolerated, and that can be major or minor, long-term things, okay, that you've tolerated and just thought, well, that's just who I am. No, God wants to deal with that. This is part of the disappointment deal. It's about going for it. He's going to deal with these things. And so put your hand on that area. Put your hand on that area. If you've got something which is like mental health uh, stuff, and I know there's so many things going on right now with depression and all sorts, just put your hand on your head. We're going to pray for you. Now, if you've not got your hand on an area, if this isn't new, I'd like you to reach your hand out as a prophetic act towards your screen to pray for those people who are poorly who are ill. We're going to pray for them. And this is what we're going to go. We're going to go in the name of Jesus, be healed. It is that easy. It is that simple. It is nothing fancy. Okay? So together, we just reach out and we say, wherever you're at, whatever sickness you are carrying, whether it be mental health, physical, long-term, whether it needs regenerative, growing back kind of miracle, like the ear that got chopped off (laughs) when Peter chopped the ear off, whether it's regenerative, whether it's whether it's something that just needs to change, whether it's something that needs to go like cancer or, or something that's growing in you that's not right, whether it's something that needs to grow back, we just, we just say to that thing, whatever sickness, whatever thing, in the name of Jesus, be healed. In the name of Jesus, be healed. That simple. Now, if you can test it out, if you're able, give it a little wiggle or a test, that'll be good. If it's, Still not better. We're just going to pray again. Okay, we're going to give it one more go. Because time. <laughs> so we're just going to put our hands on again. If, if, if it's not worked, if something hasn't quite worked, we just put your hands on that again. And everybody raise your hands up and we're just going to go. Be healed in the name of Jesus. Be healed in the name of Jesus. Right now. 